Such a great story. I love Jackie Camacho. And uh, man, I'm so glad our church sends out missionaries. It was because of the Be Rich campaign that we did in the fall that we were able to take mission trips to the DR to help this school, the Macaria School. And, uh, and it's just such an important mission and missionary. And uh, I'm just so glad she's there leading the charge. And she's such an amazing lady and has done so much. And because of Be Rich and because of your generosity, we we're able to come alongside Jackie and the school there to make a difference in so many children's lives. I can't imagine how many children one day will say the, the trajectory of their life changed because of this mission and you're part of that. So I can't wait to meet all those people in heaven one day to talk about that. It's so great. So thank you for doing that. Let's give Jackie another hand. Hey, I want to say hi to my mom who watches online in Maryland and all those people watching all over the world. So thanks for tuning in. If you're at the West End, go by and see Abe today. He'd love to buy you a coffee, tell you more. I hear they're rocking at Missouri City today, just having a great crowd down there. And I think Terrace is there. But on June 5th, listen, two weeks from today, our new lead pastor, Chad Harrell, is going to be there with his wife. They start their official tenure at uh, Missouri City on June 5th. We're going to have a big cookout. I hear we're having beer brats or something. I don't know. I don't even know if you can do that at church, but hey, we're doing it. And uh, we're not having beer and brats. We're having beer brats. Completely different situation, okay? So some of you guys, I'm going for the beer. And no, we'll have to drink it out of a pot. Anyway, so anyway, come June 5th, uh, he'd love to meet you. I'll be down there as well. Hey, and so there's uh, something else I was supposed to tell you, but I don't know what it is. How's everybody in Richmond? Good? Wake? So good. Hey, we're in the book of James, and man, he says it like it is, doesn't he? I mean, this is your homework if you choose to accept it, is to study the book of James. Just go through it. And um, what you recognize is, man, there's not a lot of explanation that's needed. That's why my sermons are so short. It's like, he says it like it is. He says, here, here, here's how you're supposed to have faith in God, and here's the difference it's supposed to make. And he doesn't mix words. It's not highly theological, although there's a theological challenge in there. But James is saying to us over and over and over again, don't fool yourself. Man, don't fake it. And oftentimes we misplace this understanding of what, what uh, religion is and a relationship with God is with what faith is. The only thing that pleases God, by the way, is faith. That's it. That means trusting in him, depending on him, believing in him in a way that changes your life. And, and James doesn't want us to fool ourselves. I guess his church in the first century there in Jerusalem was a lot like many churches, including ours, where people walk in and feel like they're getting what they need and they're getting their religion and they like their fill. And then all of a sudden they leave and they think that's all there is to it. But James says, no, that's not all there is to it. And today is my favorite part of the book of James because this is where he really lays it out on the line. Now listen, you got to be careful today that you don't hear the wrong thing. So be listening closely, because if you don't catch this, it will really mess up your whole understanding of God. In fact, Martin Luther took this passage of Scripture, this famous theologian, took this passage of Scripture and totally discounted the book of James because he took it the wrong way. In fact, what he was saying here is that we don't have a works-based theology, we have a faith-based theology, which is different. That's what Martin Luther was all about. In fact, that's why he was the pro protester or the Protestant or the reformer. It's because he was moving away from a works-based theology to a grace-based theology. Well, James builds on that, but you have to look at it the way James does. Let's get to it, okay? James chapter 2 says this. Here it is, in your face, right on it. 
What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith and have no deeds? Can that such a faith save him? So you can see the tension here. You can see why Martin Luther got upset about this. It's like, listen, how, what good is it if you, have, you say you have faith, but you have no works? I mean, that's the deal. If you have no deeds, is that kind of faith real? Is that a kind of faith that makes a difference in your life? Is that a real faith? I mean, that, that's what he's saying here is like, you got to check it out. And then all of us sitting here today would say, oh man, I do some good things. I'm a good person, all that stuff. But he's not talking about your works. He's talking about your faith. He's talking about check your faith. Is this a real faith? This faith is supposed to be a difference. It's a reality check. And the reality check is, is your faith real? I think that's a slide coming up. I don't know. Oh, there it is. Okay, good. Is your faith real faith? Thought of that myself. Put it right up there. And um, because here's the deal. We confuse religion and understanding and history with faith in God. And we have to be careful to understand the difference between an intellectual assent to a, some truth of history and a real dependence upon a living God. And so faith, James wants to make sure that we have a real faith, something that's tangible, something that's measurable, and something that's obvious. That, like, you can't see faith, but you can see the effects of faith. You can't see the wind, but you see the effects of wind. And that's what he's talking about here. And so he goes on and gives a little example. So let me read the passage again. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Then the example. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes, which is a very common thing in the first century, without clothes and daily food. So you can see how destitute somebody might be. So he says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is that? What good is that kind of faith if it doesn't produce some sort of action? He goes on to give a better explanation. In the same way, faith by itself if it is a, not accompanied by action, well, that faith is dead. It means it's useless. It's a useless faith. It's not real. And if you don't have a real faith, you're just going to walk away from God at some point. So James says, listen, that faith by itself, it, 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 whatever you're calling it, it's dead. Someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. In other words, it'll be obvious what I do. And then goes, finishes this way. This is hard to hear. You believe that there is one true God, right? Well, good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. So there's this contrast that he's saying here. This idea of faith without works is dead. This idea that if your faith isn't producing some sort of action, it's not the right faith. Faith without works is dead. Let's say it out loud together. Ready? Faith without works is dead. It's dead. It's useless. Now, let me just give you a warning. This is not a sermon on you ought to get to work. <laughs> Y'all been to that pastor, that sermon, that, that church that says, if you really love God, you'll get out there and serve. You been to that? I've been to that church. I've been that pastor. <laughs> and we do need some help in our children's ministry. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it. Is that what James is doing? 
Is James trying to muster up some volunteers by using shame and guilt and ought to? Because we all feel like that. We all, oh man, you're right. I ought to do something. Man, that's right. I'm going to do something. He, listen, I'm going to hit, listen to me. He's not talking about your works. That's not your problem. You not doing anything is not your work. It's not the problem. The problem is what you believe about God and your relationship with God. That's what he's getting to. And he gives this amazing example. He says, listen, what if you're walking down the street and you see a brother or a sister, somebody out there that doesn't have any clothes and doesn't have any food and you do nothing and you say something real spiritual to them. I'll be praying for you. God bless you. Looks like the devil's busy. You know what? I mean, whatever you say, you know, whatever makes you feel you have words. And they're interrupting. Listen, let's just face it. This problem that's just shown up in your life, that's interrupting something else that you were planning on doing that day. So it's like, okay, let me pray for you. Let me throw you a five. You know, here we go. Maybe a 10, maybe a 20. I only got a hundred. No. <laughs> Not going there. James says you're missing it. He's describing a faith that's real. He's describing a relationship with God that so penetrates your heart, it changes your life. It changes what you see. It changes, listen, it changes what you care about. And all of a sudden, things that you never cared about or didn't care deeply about, you care deeply about. And you begin to reflect God's heart because you have a dependence and a faith and a relationship with God. And the one that you say you're following, all of a sudden you become more and more and more like. And you can't hardly walk by human suffering without having the heart of God because you have a faith. And so he wants to make sure you understand the difference between these two ideas, faith versus belief. Faith versus belief, there's a big difference. And a lot of people have a belief, but they have no faith in God. Here's an old, old illustration. I've used it before. It's like this chair. You know, this chair is really a kind of a good symbol of what, we, what the difference is between faith and belief. And this chair is a really good example because a lot of us know about the chair, right? We know about the chair. We, we like the chair. Some of us love the chair. <laughs> we really do. We tell other people about the chair and how great this chair is. And on special occasions, we show up to give honor to the chair. Like, you know, Christmas chair, Christmas, you know, cheester, you know, that kind of thing. Chair, Easter, cheester. That's the only thing I can think of. You know, and we, and we just, we really have an affection and affinity for the chair. And then we, we want to study the chair. So we want to know how the chair is made, where it came from, what's the future, what's the purpose. And we can tell other people about the chair. But that's not faith. You can believe so much about this chair. You can even believe this chair would hold you up if you sat in it. But that's a belief. That's not faith. Faith is when you sit down in it. This is the only time you're exercising faith because now you're dependent. And if the chair gives way, you give way. All your hope is in this chair. 
that you believe something so powerful about it that you place your safety, your future, and your life in it. And you're believing that in this chair, not only will it give you rest, and being in the chair does give you rest, but in this chair are all the things that you really are looking for in life, like contentment, joy, peace. Because you're not in control. You're not holding up your own life anymore. You have a faith in God, and that faith in God is holding you up, and you believe in God in such a powerful way that you're depending upon him. You're not knowing about him. Heck, the demons know about him. But you're trusting him to a point where you're willing to follow him. That's kind of what it looks like. When you have faith in God, you obey God. You follow God. You, you say, God, I trust you more than I trust my own intuition. I trust you more than I trust my own knowledge, my own degree, or my own life experience. I trust you. God, I want you to make a difference in my life. And all of a sudden, when you're in this chair, it changes who you are. It totally and completely changes who you are. I, oh, God, did you hear that? I swallowed a bug there. <clears throat> I did that in the last service. It just kind of happened. It's like, ah, it flew right down my throat or something. I don't know what happened. Maybe I hocked up something there. Sorry. Um, my ADD kicked in. I'm so sorry. This chair, though, is a powerful illustration of what I think we do with religion. We study, we know, we come to church, we feel good. If you're not careful, or if you're not careful, this whole thing about Jesus will really be about you. You feeling good, you feeling spiritual, you feeling right, you like this liturgy, you like this, you like that, you like the other thing, this is about you. That's kind of how works is, you're right? I mean, listen, here's the truth about works. You don't have to have a faith in God to be a good person, and you don't have to have a faith in God to do good things. But you can't have a faith in God and not do good things. You see how that works? It's the idea that I don't need faith to do good things, but if without, but I can't do, I can't not, I can't help myself but to do good things because I have a faith in God. It changes who you are. And I know nobody was signing up for that. We were just signing up for a ticket to heaven, maybe a little peace, maybe some forgiveness. That's what we were signing up for. But God's signing up to mold and shape you and to form you in the image of his son, Jesus Christ. He wants you to become something different than you are. It's not being a Johnny do-gooder. It's about having a faith in God. And if you're not careful, all those good things that you do, you'll make sure that you work into some conversation with somebody. Like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, I was just so busy after work. I went down to the church house, and, I, you know, they asked me to serve. I'm just serving. It's not a big deal. I'm just, you know, the Lord's work, <laughs> just helping people, you know, that's what I'm doing, <laughs> you know. And you just kind of, yeah, it's, you know, Christmas, Thanksgiving, and just going down there to serve. I'd call and tell you, let you know <laughs> what I'm doing. And if you're not careful, this would be about your ego and you feeling like, I'm a good person. Look, I do good things. That's not what James is talking about. He's not talking about you getting out there and serving. There's one famous theologian said, work, 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 work. You know, is he, who is that? Uh, Rihanna. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah. Is that nasty? I don't really know. I said that in the first service, not knowing. And they said, I don't think it's nasty. But the person that told me, I thought, you wouldn't know. And... Uh, <laughs> Work, 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 work. I'm sure it's totally inappropriate. 
totally inappropriate. Little Rihanna here. Is that Rihanna? Yeah, of course it is. I'm hip. I'm cool. And that's what you do. Here's the thing. It feels like some sort of a exchange program. I'm going to be good and God's going to be good to me. That's how it's going to work, right? I'm going to be good. I'm going to serve. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to give a little money because, you know, the church is needing the money, all that stuff. I'm going to do all this. And then somehow in our thinking, in our system, we think God's got, you know, God owes me, you know, that God's going to do something for me. I'm a good person. And so we're image managing a lot instead of having a faith in God because the faith in God is totally the opposite. It's not about you working. It's about who you are. It's who you're becoming. It's the fact that you care about stuff. You don't just do stuff. Your heart's in it. And all of a sudden, you, you're broken hearted when people are suffering. You're tender. You don't just walk by feeling the same. And I know you can't solve everybody's problem. Man, if you're at the West End campus, I know the homeless population down there is just astronomical. I mean, people everywhere. And you can't help everybody. I get that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying what has God put on your heart because you follow him? What do you care about? Do you care about anything? If not, this is going to be a narcissistic religion. God, help me. God, provide for me. God, serve me. God, give me. God, bless me. God, I need a miracle. God, I need a provision. I need all that stuff too. But you know what God's number one program is? Is to change you, not just to give to you. He wants to shape you. I know, I didn't sign up for that either. I just was trying to get to heaven. So it's not about works becoming the avenue to which you're acceptable to God. That's a works theology that's heresy. It's grace and grace alone. It's by grace you've been saved, not by faith, not as a result of your own works. That's, the, that's not the way it works here. But what James is saying here is if you have a real faith, it's coming out in your life. So if it ain't coming out in your life, you better check your faith. I know a lot of people are like, I just need to get to work. No, that's not really the issue. He's getting to the motivation, to the heart of the whole thing. Uh, A real faith in God will cause you to sacrifice and help someone else. It'll cause you to do things you never thought you'd do. It'll actually cause you to become something you never wanted to become. You never knew to become. I remember... Going to, I think it was my 20 or 25th uh, high school reunion. And I met, I met a fellow there named Chris, who I'd spent a lot of time with in high school. There's children in here. I shouldn't talk more about this, but uh, things got crazy. You know, we did stuff. And some of you people who hadn't been in church all your life know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) And I was the I was the rebel, man. I was the pagan. I just wanted to have a good time, and I had a good time. God, so good. (laughs) And then I met the Lord my senior year, kind of really started following him through college. All the 20 years go by, I go back to my reunion. Run into Chris. So Chris says to me, so what are you doing now? And I said, well, I'm a pastor of a church in Houston. You could see his utter confusion. <laughs> you could just see it. It's like, what? 
Yeah, I'm a pastor of a church. And you can see him trying to reconcile what he knew about me and the time we spent together. You know what I'm talking about? Am I being clear now? And me being a pastor, you could just tell, man, he was like, he was angry about it. You know, just like, he had the angry face on. It's like, what are you, what? He said, you must have changed. That's all he could say. I said, well, I hope so. Uh, maybe not in, in every way, but in a lot of ways. He said, wow. Here's what he says. I never would have guessed you would have ever become a pastor. I said, neither would I. I, I never would have guessed that. My family would have never guessed that. I mean, the law never would have guessed that. I mean, really. See, that's what faith does to you. It, it takes whatever you are, wherever you are, and whatever you're doing, and when you begin to trust in the Lord with your whole heart and stop leaning on your own understanding of how life works, he begins to mold and shape you and take you to a place you never could have even dreamed to ask him to take you. You could never have become, you could never have achieved, you could have never experienced the joy of serving God, of seeing other people's life completely change because you just showed up and decided to be obedient. See, a faith in God, in order for it to be relevant, has to radically change you over time. It's not overnight. But if it's not changing you, it's serving you. And God wanted you to surrender so he could do something beautiful in your life. So the, the question is, can that faith save a person? Can that per, is that faith really real? We talk a good game. But is that, is that faith is it, is it real? Is it powerful enough to challenge you at the core of who you are and how you do life? Or, and there's seasons like this for all of us, are we just happy asking God for more? Are we just happy asking God to do for us? I mean, I'm asking God to do some stuff. The stuff I can't do. I, I'm, in, I'm at the end of my resources to help some people that I love very much. And I'm hoping, I'm interceding for them. I'm asking God to do something incredible. But, but, you know, what God's doing in me is teaching me something, changing me, uh, creating me something that I couldn't create in my own life. And I, I'm not sure I want all that, but I know at the end of the deal, it's better. If you're not careful, this whole thing about Jesus will be about you working, and it'll wear you out, and you'll leave. You'll just walk out and say, I can't, I can't do it. It's not about you being a good person. It's about you having an abiding faith in Christ where you're willing to go where he sends you, where you're willing to do what he tells you, where you're willing to search and be a seeker of the truth, where you're humble and teachable, and, and all of a sudden, your values and your principles and everything that you're about begins to morph and change, and you become something different than you are today. And that's where joy is. That's it. You know, it starts with the prayer to follow Jesus in the beginning. I remember that when I was in high school. I I remember getting to the end of the party, 
and going, there's got to be more in life than just feeling good. And I remember in my bedroom saying to God, God, I need forgiveness. And, and I remember just surrendering. I, I, it was one of those weird, I don't even know how to pray. You know, I, it was one of those deals where you're just talking to God. I mean, it's kind of my favorite thing anyway, just to talk to God. I mean, I didn't know you're supposed to close your eyes and bow your head. I didn't know, I didn't know the rules. I can't find that in the Bible. But anyway, so it's like, okay, God, listen, I need you desperately. And I remember in high school saying, God, I believe Jesus died for me and rose from the dead. And I want to follow you. And when I said that, I meant it. I just didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what it meant. I thought it meant God's going to bless me. God's on my team. He's going to, we're going to go out there and do it now. God, God and me, man, we're going to make it happen. God's corrected me over the years going, no, you're on my team. Listen, I got a plan. I want you to be part of it. But I'm at the center of the plan. You're not at the center of the plan. And then all of a sudden, this faith in God becomes such a relevant deal. And it changes who I am. You, you know this in part, like if you've ever met somebody that you've fallen in love with, man, I'm talking to you, listen, if you've ever fallen in love with a girl, it'll change what you do. You'll like shopping all of a sudden, <laughs> you'll comment on women's clothing, you know, you'll, you'll do stuff that you, and all of a sudden, I, I tell you, Lisa and I started dating soon after I said that prayer in high school and just my relationship with her has changed me in so many ways. So you get this. You understand this. Relationships transform us. Good and bad. But James is saying this relationship that you say you have with God is supposed to transform you. That's the kind of intimacy you're supposed to have. It's not about knowing about Jesus. It's about following him. It's about hearing from him. It's about obeying him. Something amazing happens when you do that. I promise you, I, I never, as, long, and as well as all my high school friends, nobody would have ever guessed I'd be a pastor. <laughs> nobody would guess I wouldn't be in prison. You know, it's that kind of deal. But God did something amazing. I didn't do it. And it's about faith in God. It's about faith in God. Let's pray together. Will you pray with me? Father, we confuse faith and belief so often. And I just pray, God, that we would be a faithful person that's dependent on you, that somehow we would be signing up for this life change, that we want to become something different, not just do something different. Please, God, don't let us reduce a relationship down with you, down to just doing good things and working our way through life and being religious. But may we so, be so impacted that the things we want would bring honor and please you because pleasing you is really what we want in life. That's where happiness is. That's where joy is. That's where security is. That's where confidence is. And if you're here or at Most City or West End and you've never given your life to Christ, I want to give you that opportunity to do that, to pray, to say, God, forgive me. 
I want to follow you, believing that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again. And I don't know what I'm signing up for, but I know I need it. That prayer is the beginning. Many of us, God, have walked away from you and have been apart from you for a long time. And if that's you today, regardless of where you are listening to me today, maybe it's time to come home. Not to do more, but to figure out who Jesus is. I pray, oh God, that we'd be a faith-filled people that lives out, that our hearts break over the things your heart breaks, like people who are marginalized, that are hurting, that are hungry, that we'd really care deeply, sincerely about other people. And this whole religion thing won't be about us, but a relationship with Jesus would be the primary thing in our life. We pray all this in his name. Amen.